We are in the book of 2 Samuel. We only have four more sessions in the book after today. Today we are in 2 Samuel chapter 20. And then after those four sessions are done, one of our commissioned missionaries, John North, will be with us for two Sundays and sharing the word with us. But today we are in 2 Samuel 20. Remember with me that we are in a large section of the book, chapters 15 through 20, that can be summed up in one word, rebellion. David sinned in chapters 10 and 11. In chapter 12, he confessed that sin, and God forgave him the guilt of that sin, but the consequence of that sin, David carries with him through the remainder of his days. And we see some of the consequence of that sin in chapters 15 through 20 in rebellion. Today, in chapter 20, as we read through the text in just a little bit, notice there's actually two men that are rebelling, even though only one appears to be rebelling. This guy named Sheba, who's very outward in his rebellion. But there's a second one who rebels, although he wants to be viewed as being very loyal to King David. And that's King David's general, Joab. These two men are both active in rebelling against the Lord's anointed. And yet we're going to see one woman, a woman of wisdom, demonstrate that obedience and wisdom always win. Obedience to the Lord and wisdom are much more powerful than positioning than prestige or position. So as we look through, and as I read this aloud, as you follow along, watch for this guy named Sheba, who's outward in his rebellion, Joab, who's covert in his rebellion, and then this very wise woman who goes nameless in the text, but proves that wisdom and obedience to the Lord is stronger than might. 2 Samuel chapter 20. Now, a worthless fellow happened to be there whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he blew the trumpet and said, We have no portion in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So all the men of Israel withdrew from following David and followed Sheba the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah remained steadfast to their king from the Jordan even to Jerusalem. Then David came to his house at Jerusalem and the king took the ten women, the concubines, whom he had left to keep the house and placed them under guard and provided them with sustenance but did not go into them, so they were shut up until the day of their death, living as widows. And the king said to Amasa, Call out the men of Judah for me within three days, and be present here yourself. So Amasa went to call out the men of Judah, but he delayed longer than the set time which had been appointed him. And David said to Abishai, Now Sheba, the son of Bichri, will do us more harm than Absalom. Take your Lord's servants and pursue him so that he does not find for himself fortified cities and escape from our sight. 
So Joab's men went out after him along with the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the mighty men. And they went out from Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. When they were at the large stone, which is at Gibeon, Amasa came out to meet them. Now, Joab was dressed in his military attire, and over it was a belt with a sword in its sheath fastened at his waist. As he went forward, it fell out. Joab said to Amasa, Is it well with you, my brother? And Joab took Amasa by the beard with his right hand to kiss him. But Amasa was not on guard against the sword which was in Joab's hand, so he struck him in the belly with it and poured out his inward parts on the ground and did not strike him again, and he died. Then Joab and Abishai, his brother, pursued Sheba, the son of Bichri. Now there stood by him one of Joab's young men and said, Whoever favors Joab and whoever's for David, let him follow Joab. But Amasa lay wallowing in his blood in the middle of the highway. When the men saw that all the people stood still, he removed Amasa from the highway into the field and threw a garment over him when he saw that everyone who came by him stood still. As soon as he was removed from the highway, all the men passed on after Joab to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. Now, he went through all the tribes of Israel to Abel, even Beth Maacah, and all the Beerites, and they were gathered together and also went after him. They came and besieged him in Abel, Beth Maacah, and they cast up a siege ramp against the city, and it stood by the rampart. And all the people who were with Joab were wreaking destruction in order to topple the wall. Then a wise woman called from the city, Here, here, please tell Joab, come here, that I may speak with you. So he approached her, and the woman said, Are you Joab? He answered, I am. Then she said to him, Listen to the words of your maidservant. And he answered, I'm listening. Then she spoke, saying, Formerly they used to say, They will surely ask advice to Abel, and thus they ended the dispute. I am of those who are peaceable and faithful in Israel. You're seeking to destroy a city, even a mother in Israel. Why would you swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? Joab replied, Far be it, far be it for me that I should swallow up or destroy. Such is not the case. But a man from the hill country of Ephraim, Sheba the son of Bichri, his name, has lifted up his hand against King David. Only hand him over and I will depart from the city. The woman said to Joab, Behold, his head will be thrown to you over the wall. Then the woman wisely came to all the people and they cut off the head of Sheba the son of Bichri and threw it to Joab. So he blew the trumpet. They were dispersed from the city, each to his tent. Joab also returned to the king at Jerusalem. Now, Joab was over the whole army of Israel, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and Adoram was over the forced labor, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was the recorder, and Shiva was scribe, and Zadok and Abiathar are priests, and Ira the Jairite also was a priest to David." Two men laid next to each other in the text here. One outward in his rebellion, a guy named Sheba. Another one also rebelling, but appears to be loyal to David. 
two rebelling. And yet, as this count unfolds, we find one woman, a woman of wisdom, demonstrates more power than the one who appears to hold an infinite amount of power. Before coming to Faith Bible Church in October of 1995, my wife and I lived in North Dakota and pastored a church there, and the church where we were outgrew their facility, and we were faced with a choice of whether or not we should do an addition in its current location, where they had done previous additions, but you had to use a gravel road to even get to the facility, or if we should move out of this little tiny village into the town where I lived. So as a leadership, we began to pray. And then we gathered small groups of people in homes and we started to pray. And then we had sessions together where we prayed. Then we sought counsel and brought in a couple of men to help give us some direction and to think through the issues involved. And eventually we decided to build a new facility, sell the facility where we were, and then start another church in Minnesota at the same time for the families who were traveling from Minnesota. Problem, we couldn't find any land. In the town where we lived, it was just very difficult right then to find land to build. Once again, we started to pray. One of our guys said, you know, there is one piece of property in town that is just better than any other piece of property. It's right on the highway. It's right next to the golf course, extremely visible, but it's owned by an elderly lady who's never been willing to sell it. It's got an old gas station on it that could be a problem, but I'm just going to call her. He called her up and said, you know, I know you've held this. You've never been willing to sell it, but would you ever sell it to us as a church? And on the phone, she said, yeah, it's five acres. I'll sell it to you for $5,000. We said, we'll do it. We were concerned about those old big barrels that held all the fuel because it could be contaminated and we'd have to clean that up. They took those out. No contamination at all. We sold those big tanks for scrap metal. We sold the lifts inside the garage for scrap or for as lifts. We paid for the demolishment of the property and everything we salvaged out paid not only for having the property demolished and the tanks being taken out, but paid for the property. We kind of wondered why did she, why was she willing to sell it when she's never been willing before to other people and for $5,000 in the most beautiful location in our town. Well, unbeknownst to us, the school system wanted that piece of property and had been trying to force her out of it. In fact, they were taking steps to try to condemn it so that they could take it over. So she thought, I'll get you guys. Unbeknownst to us, she just sold it to us. Now, if we had known that the school system was trying to get that property, there's no way we would have ever taken... I mean, they have an attorney. You know, I mean, they have... It's a school system. They have tons of money. How could we ever, ever compete? Well, we learned an important lesson through that. Just simply walking in obedience to the Lord, waiting on Him... 
is more powerful than position. It's more powerful than money. It's, it's, it's waiting on the Lord and His wisdom always wins. And one of the things we see today in 2 Samuel 20 is one man, actually two men, positioning themselves for power, for prestige. And one woman of wisdom who demonstrates more power than the other two. As the section opens in chapter 20, verses 1 through 15, notice with me that uh, a believer's sin always leads to pain, and David is still suffering as a result of his sin. In fact, in chapter 12, verse 10, the prophet Nathan told David these words, the sword shall never depart from your house. And David finds that to be true. It doesn't. But even though a believer's sin leads to defeat and pain, when that individual believer renews himself to obeying the Lord and confesses his or her sin, the Lord still uses them. The Lord still brings victory and peace and hope and blessing. And that's what we see happening in David's life. He is renewed in his desire to obey the Lord. And he is depending on him. And even though everything seems to be in tumult around him, the Lord always blesses obedience and waiting upon him for wisdom. So as the account opens, remember last week in the end of chapter 19, there is a schism developing, this 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 division between the tribes of the north and the southern tribe of Israel. They don't like each other. And it's just bubbling under the surface, ready to explode. In fact, all of Israel and Judah had left David to follow David's son Absalom in revolt. And yet when Absalom was killed, they all came back underneath David. And at the end of chapter 19, they're actually fighting over David. Well... We should have been the ones to get to bring him over the Jordan River. Why do you guys think you get the privileged position to escort him across the Jordan River? We're ten times as many people. And they're bickering over who has more right to escort David. Well, as we come to chapter 20, verse 1, we're introduced to a guy named Sheba. That The text says he's a worthless fellow. How would you like to be known for all time in Scripture as a worthless fellow? Not too many people name their sons Sheba. Well, this guy's named Sheba, and he's a worthless fellow. And he saw this division and says, I'm going to take my opportunity. And he basically calls out, David is not our king. Notice the end of verse 1. We have no portion in David, nor do we have an inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. And all of those northern tribes leave David, and they follow Sheba, this worthless fellow. Now there's a difference between this revolt and the revolt of Absalom, and that is the fact that the southern tribe of Judah 
stays with David. In fact, if you look at verse 2, it says, All the men of Israel withdrew from following David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri, but the men of Judah remain steadfast to their king. The Hebrew word that's translated remain steadfast there is the same Hebrew word we find clear back in Genesis chapter 2.24 talking about marriage. When it said a man, for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. The Hebrew word there literally could be translated and sticks to his wife, cleaves to his wife. We are going to make it through life together, through thick and through thin, through rough and smooth. We are going to do it together. We're going to stick together. And that's the word that's used here in 2 Samuel 20. These men of Judah are going to stick to David. And they do. As David returns with these men of Judah to Jerusalem, we see a little glimpse in verse 3 that reminds us that now that David has confessed his sin, he is committed to obeying the Lord. In all areas of his life. Remember, when David had to flee Jerusalem from his son for fear of being killed by his son, he left behind ten of his harem. They're called concubines. They would be some of David's wives to care for the house. David's son Absalom went in with them and had relations with them, in a sense usurping his father's authority. Well, the scripture doesn't talk exactly about that scenario, but there are verses in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, that says that a man cannot divorce his wife, have her marry another man, leave him, and she is not able to go back to her first husband. Many believe that here David is taking that principle and saying it would be wrong for me to have relations with those ten again since they had been with his son. It's just a little glimpse into the fact that David is trying to walk in obedience to the Lord in every area of his life. He's trying to do the right thing. And so he he comes back to Jerusalem and he says to his nephew, Amasa, the new general of Israel's armies, Amasa, this guy Sheba can do more damage than my son would have done Absalom. We've got to stop him. I want you to gather the armies of Israel in three days. You be with him, and I'm going to send you after Sheba. Well, the text goes on to tell us that Amasa was slow, and he didn't get the job done, so David called for one of Amasa's first cousins, another nephew of David's, Abishai, who's Joab's brother, Abishai, I want you to take my crack troops, the Pelothites, the Cherethites, my valiant men, and your cousin's moving too slow. We've got to quell this thing. Go and stop Sheba. So he goes. With him is Joab. Remember General Joab, David's general for years and years and years, who wouldn't obey the king's order to deal gently with the king's son, instead murdered him. And so David replaced him. Well, now, here's Joab. It's like Joab got fired at work, but he still shows up for work. And the guy that they replaced him with at work, he's just going to kill him and move back into his old office. 
That's what's going on. So he greets his cousin, Amasa, puts his right out arm up to his face and takes his left arm and stabs him and then leaves him right in the middle of the road. One of the soldiers see that everybody's taking too much time just looking at this nephew of David. And so they take him and they throw him in a field and just cover him up. And they move on toward Sheba with Joab now as the one who has just positioned himself for power. And they come to the town where Sheba, this worthless guy, has held up. It's a town named Abel Beth Ma'akah. And Joab begins to build a ramp out of dirt to go over the wall. And then they take a battering ram and they start trying to break the wall. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be inside the city? To have Joab, the general, going to soon come over your wall and he's battering your the city wall. He's going to break it up. It seems insurmountable. David, man, he's, you know, Nathan the prophet said, the sword's not going to depart from your house. And now he has another nephew that's laying out in a field dead. And David, because of his sin, gets nicked up, beaten up. But yet, when he confessed his sin, God is still committed to blessing him and using him. When I was a kid, we spent most of our vacation time in Colorado. It's where my mother grew up in Fort Collins, so I spent my youth fishing trout in the Poudre River and the Big Thompson and up at Horsetooth Reservoir, hiking up in the mountains at my cousin's uh, mountain cabin. And uh, one of the things that always perturbed me as a kid is my mom would always find things that we had to drag back to Iowa. I can remember her along a mountain stream saying to my dad, Oh, Bob, look at that beautiful piece of driftwood. Guess who had to carry the driftwood? Me. I looked at that thing. It's a stick, Mom. It's just a stick. Look, it's all beat up. It's it's just been in the water. It's It's all discolored. It's a stick. We don't even have enough room for the four of us kids in this car. Now we've got to bring a stick back to Iowa. It's just an old stick. And we go home and she puts it on our dining table. And then her friends come by and say, oh, how beautiful. <laughs> well, you know, so often our lives resemble that stick. Because just like David, we sin. Sometimes we just kind of wander aimlessly for a while. And as a result of that sin, we get nicked. We get beaten, a little bit discolored. But just like in David's life, when we are willing to say the same thing about sin that God does and confess it and start committing ourselves to walking with him again and being obedient to his revealed word, he can take that stick of our life and weave it into his plan so that it actually can reflect Jesus Christ and the beauty of Jesus 
old sticks reflecting him. And we see here in David's life a man who's humbled, who recognized his own sin. Remember the passage that Pastor Ed read a little while ago, or recited 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth's not in us. He goes on and said, if we just confess it, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all righteousness. And then he says this in chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So that when I or when you confess our sin to the Father, and we say, Lord, I've sinned against you. The very presence of Jesus Christ in the throne room of heaven that's seated at the right hand of the Father is our guarantee that the Father will accept us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to know that we are right with God again. And God not only blesses us in the heavenlies, but when we walk in obedience to Him, He provides for us and gives us peace and uses us, blessing us. Well, we see these two rebellious men, one who's outward in rebellion, one who's covert. And in verses 16 down through 22, we see all of the power of the general. General Joab, in his might, with his massive forces, all mobilized to accomplish a common task, and they're building a a ramp, and they're battering the wall, and many lives will die. And then we see one woman, who it tells us in the text, is faithful and obedient to the Lord. And it calls her, unlike Sheba, a worthless fellow. It calls her a wise woman. Doesn't even tell us her name. Just says she's a wise woman. And this wise woman shows that depending on the Lord and walking in obedience, seeking the wisdom of the Lord is more powerful than human might. She yells down, hey, I need to talk to Joab. Joab says, yeah, it's me. Why are you trying to destroy this city? This is the Lord's city. We are a mother of cities, meaning that there's other villages and small towns around us that come to us for sustenance. We are known as a place of wisdom. People come to our town to seek direction for their lives. Why are you trying to destroy us? And Joab says, I don't want to destroy you. I just after one guy and the wise woman says, I can take care of that. Watch out, you'll find his head coming over the wall. One wise woman stops a massive battle. You see, obedience to the Lord and seeking his wisdom always wins. We see Joab positioning. Remember, he was said, you're not king anymore. He says, yes, I am. And without David knowing it, just kills his replacement and moves back into his old office. Positioning. People position all the time today. 
If you're a parent of and have children still at home that are involved in athletics or music or palms, uh, you know all about positioning. Parents are continually trying to position their child so that they can get ahead of others. We see positioning in the workplace. People even sometimes choose churches that they think will position them better to help their career. One of my mentors, years and years ago, gave me this piece of advice that I've always hung on to. It's nothing deep, but he simply said, Steve, God knows your phone number. And I've thought about that over the years. And what he was saying by that is, you don't have to rely on positioning or earthly maneuvering to somehow get ahead in your life. All you have to do is walk in obedience to the Lord, depending on Him, seeking wisdom from Him, and He will direct your steps. Remember, James chapter 1, verse 5, it's a verse that all of us as believers should be claiming regularly. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Well, as the section comes to a close, we find some verses that are parallel to chapter 8, verses 15 through 18. And it's simply a list of positions. There's one thing that's disturbing in these verses. If you look at verse 23, it says, Now Joab was over the whole army of Israel. Now that's disturbing. If we think back over 2 Samuel, we are we think back to the fact that Joab has murdered three people now. He murdered Abner in chapter 3, verse 27, and without David's knowledge. He murdered David's son, Absalom, even though David gave clear command of which Joab was fully aware that he was to be treated gently. And he murdered his replacement, in a sense, his new boss, Amasa, in chapter 20, verse 10. And yet, it looks like he's getting away with it. He's, he's remaining, he's remaining as the general of the army of Israel. It just seems like rebellion is going unchecked. And sometimes in our lives it feels that way. And yet we will be reminded in the scripture that judgment always comes. We won't look today, but if you turn over or write down a note, 1 Kings, Chapter 2, verses 5 through 6 and 28 through 35, David on his deathbed will say to his son Solomon, Solomon, don't let Joab go to his grave in peace. He's a man of bloodshed. He's a murderer. Deal with him. And Solomon will. And Joab is going to be executed. When I was a kid uh, growing up in uh, southwest Iowa, my father was an Iowa farm boy and never could bring himself to living on the Nebraska side of the Missouri River. Even though he worked in Omaha, he just couldn't quite bring himself to living there. So I grew up on the Iowa side of the Missouri. And one of the things you learn when you live close to the Missouri River is that there's always a migration of waterfowl in the fall. Growing up, I can remember just even during the night, windows open. Tens of thousands of geese in the fall 
flying or down the Missouri. Just listening to that. Never once in August did I ever question, I wonder if I'll see a goose this fall. No, it it's going to happen. It's a done deal. I don't have to worry, worry like, well, will there be a fall migration of geese? There will be. Just as it was last year, it'll happen again. We don't have to wonder, is this person really going to get away with this? There are some verses in Romans chapter 2 that tells us that men and women don't get away with outright rebellion against God and rejection of Jesus Christ. In chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each person according to his deeds. And then down in verse 16, it says, On the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ Jesus. You may be here today, and you don't know if you're right with God or not. I would encourage you after the service not to leave this place without stopping back in our prayer room. One of our elders will be back there, and they'd be happy to give you some material that that you can take out your own Bible and look up passages that tell you how you can know for sure you're right with God and your sin is forgiven. For those of us who have made that most important commitment, it's important for us to remember 2 Samuel 20 and the principles in it that even though so often our lives resemble that of David's, one of the neat things about Scripture is that it contains real stories of real people living real life. And just as David sinned, just like 1 John 1.8 says we all do, and suffered for it, God still uses him. As he renewed himself to obedience, God will all use him in a united Israel as their king. Father, we thank you for your word and the encouragement that it brings us for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.